I'll tell you what. Let's call up for a pizza. I can't do that. I can't uh, call up and say, this is the president of the United States. Send up a sausage pizza. Just to... Don't tell them who you are. Just tell them to send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's a cut from a comedy album from 1963 during the administration of President John F. Kennedy. It was called The First Family, and it was released six decades ago. Now, you remember that, don't you? I do, I do. It was hilarious. Everybody liked it. Teenagers, old people. It was a different time back then. We could laugh and joke about presidents. Uh And now as we look back 60 years on the assassination of John F. Kennedy, we want to first remember why he was such a popular president and how humor played a great role in that affinity people had for him. We'll explore that today on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. Now, there was a time when presidential humor meant something entirely different than it does today. It wasn't late-night comedians telling snarky jokes about people they hate. It was humor, real humor, that was even-handed, bipartisan, and hilarious for people of all ages. This shows a a rate of uh, economic growth, and therefore... It is not with uh, too much concern that I say a uh, raise from uh, 25 to 35 is not completely out of accord when compared with the uh, current uh, financial deficit on hand. Now, I trust that answers your uh, question about your weekly allowance, Caroline. (laughs) So, Marcia, what's your remembrance of JFK? We were young kids at the time. Yeah. So what, what was your impression of him? He was like a wit. Yeah. I mean, he had good wit. Very funny. I don't know even if my parents voted for him. You know, we didn't sit around the table talking about politics, but I thought he was uh, good looking. Yeah. He had a movie star quality to him. He did. He was uh, beguiling and very witty, and uh, I found that charming. I think that's what we all thought of him. My folks didn't vote for him either, but they liked him. Now, I just discovered this. He did 64 press conferences in his term. He was only president for 1,000 days, less than three years. That's one press conference every 16 days. They were all live. So he was on TV all the time. We saw him on the news every night, every two weeks. Well, that was smart. That's why he seemed to be ubiquitous. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And every press conference, there seemed to be one or two moments when there was something funny because somebody asked something that uh, he yeah. could poke fun at. Mr. President, the Democratic platform in which you ran for election promises to work for equal rights for women, including equal pay, to wipe out job opportunity discriminations. Now, you have made efforts on behalf of others. What have you done for the women according to the promises of the platform? Well, I'm sure we haven't done enough, and... uh... (laughs) I must say I am a a strong believer in equal pay uh, for equal work, and uh, I think that uh, uh, we ought to... uh, do better than we're doing, and I'm glad that you reminded me of it, Miss Craig. <laughs> he answered the question eventually, but funny, huh? And he seems to do this more with female reporters. Here's another one. Mr. President, your brother Ted recently on television 
said that after seeing the cares of office on you, that he wasn't sure he'd ever be interested in being the president. I wonder if you could tell us whether, if you had it to do over again, you would uh, work for the presidency and whether you can recommend the job to others. Uh, well, the answer is, uh, the first is yes, and the second is no. I don't recommend it to others. <laughs> At least for a while. There was a trip to Ireland where he spoke to people and a very charming way he handled the crowd there. There is an impression in Washington that there are no Kennedys left in Ireland, that they're all in Washington. And uh, so I wonder if there are any uh, Kennedys in this audience. Could you hold up your hand so I can see? Well, I'm glad to see a few cousins who didn't catch the boat. We're glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Missed the boat. <laughs> Isn't that great? And uh, most of that was just off-the-cuff stuff. He well, was yeah. He had a natural wit. So it was only natural for people to come up with a record album about that. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, well, yeah. here's a guy who's got a sense of humor, and he laughs at himself. We could laugh with him. Yeah. And that was Earl Dowd, who was a comedy writer who had written for many people, including... Jackie Gleason, Bob Hope, Bob and Ray, and and even went on to write for Welcome Back, Cotter. He was oh, around yeah? for a long time. Wow. Yeah. In 1982, I interviewed him, and uh, we talked about this album. How did the uh, first family album with Vaughn Meter, how did that get uh, its idea? Well, uh, actually, I saw Vaughn on a talent scout show on one of the networks, and he did the president, of course, doing the press conference. And then the JFK coloring book had come out around that time. Do you remember that? The JFK coloring book? No, I don't think so. Uh, Well, it was a coloring book with all the family in it, and I I thought, gee, you know, what a great family, and how can, there must be a way to do them, you know? And then I thought, a record album. See, that would be really exciting. There's a Mr. Foster of the Internal Revenue Service to see you. Oh, yeah, yeah, see, uh, the tax bill, send him in. I'm from the Internal Revenue Service, and I'm here to investigate the 1962 tax return of Mr. John F. Kennedy. Uh, he was here just a few minutes ago. I, I just, don't, just don't know where he could have gone. I'll get right to the point. How much did you make last year? I made... Uh, what do presidents get? $100,000 a year. So that's where the 100000 came from. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Jackie and I were going over the household budget. There was, there was this 100000 we couldn't account for. Okay, now let's check your deductions. Under medical expenses, I see you have 23 rocking chairs. Now, you must admit, sir, 23 rocking chairs is a bit much. Let's settle for eight. Ten. Nine. That's a deal. Now you, uh, let's see about your itemized list of travel deductions. Uh, Washington to Palm Beach to Washington to Hyannisport to Washington to Palm Beach to Washington to Hyannisport to Washington. Yes, but you'll notice the next day I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> in, in the album, a lot of people always wonder, do you have to get permission from the principals you're portraying them? Yeah, well, no, I, I never do that because I'm always afraid they're going to say, let me hear it, and then they'll not like something. The AP correspondent who used to say, thank you, Mr. President, at the end of the press conferences, he told me that President Kennedy kept a record player in his desk drawer, and he'd call people into the room, and he'd pull out the desk drawer, and he'd say, listen to this, and then he'd play them a cut from it. (laughs) So we know that he liked the album very much, the first First Family. 
I take it you never got to talk with him about the album that that time. I never time. did. No, we were supposed to go to the inaugural and appear there, and uh, Von Meter cut some radio spots down there, as saying that uh, I listened to, it, and then he'd give the call letters. And everybody thought it was Kennedy because he didn't identify himself. We didn't know he'd done this, and Pierre Solinger got a little miffed about it. We were canceled out. So I never did get to meet him. And we know that Jackie didn't like it. You know, I was a little rough on her in the White House tour. You remember that. Right. Follow me down this hall to the next room. As we go, I should like to point out the various paintings on the wall. Yes, I wish you would point them out. Well, there's this one and this one. <laughs> And that great big one over there. And this little teeny one down here. <laughs> and finally this one over here. Thank you for pointing them out. <laughs> What's in this room over here? I believe we are standing in front of the President Monroe conference room. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Clementine. <laughs> It's so easy to get confused. It's such a big house. <laughs> now I believe straight ahead of us is the blue room. Yes, this is the blue room. We decided to leave it just the way President Blue had it originally. <laughs> Pardon me, I seem to have uh, made the uh, wrong turn somewhere. Now, I'm trying to uh, find the bedroom. I just came out of the uh, John Hancock bathroom where I was uh, taking a shower in the Alexander Hamilton bathtub. And I think the that... The carpenters uh, and painters here have been just the, uh, working like beavers around the clock. I, I should like to point out that I am... Uh, <laughs> I am, uh, I am standing here in my shorts, uh, dripping wet. Now, I've, uh, I've got an important conference in uh, 15 minutes, so I must be dressed in uh, 10 minutes, which means I shall have to uh, move ahead uh, toward our bedroom with great vigor. Uh, wasn't that your husband? Yes, it was. He's a magnificent-looking man. Yes, and we decided to leave him just the way he was Just the way he is. Did you see that? Uh, <laughs> did your family watch the White House tour? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, mine too. I mean, it was... We all watched it. It was in color, and it was, of course, I had a black and white yeah, TV set. I didn't set. see it in color either. <laughs> I don't think anybody in our family had been to the White House by that time. No, so no. you're you're watching the First yeah, Lady. Yeah, here's and, the White House, and yeah. here's the woman talking about it. And I, and I remember saying to my mom, What's with her voice? <laughs> but she did, you know, she did things nobody else had done. And I'm not, she yeah, was. Yeah, they she really was, did a good yeah. job on the White House of renovating it yeah. and so yeah. forth. Yeah, and she brought history like crazy to that place in context, too. So there are a lot of things, and besides being what appeared to be a wonderful mother through time of tragedy. Oh, yeah. And then uh, she lost her last baby just two months before Jeez, yeah, JFK yeah. died. She, she was, what, 34? She was very young. Yeah. Uh, they went through a lot as a young couple. Yeah. Uh, yes, they did. This is one of my favorites. What if the president and his wife were alone in the White House on a Saturday night with nothing to do? <laughs> <laughs> and then Elsa Maxwell calls. You have to realize who she was. She was the hostess with the mostess. She was a major hostess ah. through big parties in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. That's what you have to know oh, okay. as you listen to this. All right. 
Let's call up for a pizza. I can't do that. I can't uh, call up and say, this is the president of the United States. Send up a sausage pizza. Just to... Don't tell them who you are. Just tell them to send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't know if I can do that. Well, let's do something. I don't want to stay home. I'm sick and tired of staying home and staring at these same 100 walls. Hello? Oh, hello, Elsa. It's Elsa Maxwell, Jackie. What? You're having a uh, party and you wonder if by any remote chance we uh, happen to be free. Free? Jackie and I on a Saturday night? You know, Elsa, sometimes I wonder about you. We're uh, having our own party. Can't you hear it? Jackie, laugh it up. <laughs> hear that, Elsa? <laughs> that Adlai, uh, he's uh, such a cutie. He always makes Jackie laugh. <laughs> just, uh, just a minute. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. I will have some more champagne and uh, fill the Maharaja of Baroda's glass. <laughs> Don't forget the Maharini. Oh, oh, Elsa, I uh, have to hang up. Uh, the Humphreys and Goldwaters are at it again. <laughs> Goodbye, Elsa, and thanks for thinking of us. You're listening to a special edition of the off-ramp, JFK's Humor. Remembered, 60 years later, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of Okay, Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, Boomer news, Boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of OK Boomer with Robert. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. This is Bob and Marcia Smith with The Off-Ramp. We're playing special recordings today from the first family album, as we remember, JFK. There's a lot of focus on his assassination 60 years later, and we will do that. But we thought let's spend time here and just remember some of the humorous things that occurred during that administration, both things the president said and things that the comedian said about the president and his family. Now, the next routine, we have to give you a little bit of understanding of what S and H green stamps were. Can you explain yeah. that to well, the audience? Well, my mother and I think every mother on this continent collected green stamps so you could get dishes and... Uh more dishes. <laughs> it usually they all was, alike. You got all kinds of trinkets and stuff from the grocery store, usually. Yeah, so plates. when you went to the grocery store or the gas station, you, with your purchase, they'd give you some green stamps and a little book. Yeah. You'd lick them and put them in the book. And then yeah. after you had so many, you could go get something. My, my mother would, yes. yes. Well, so did mine. Yeah. <laughs> so did most people. <laughs> Yes, sir? Uh, fill her up, please. Uh, just uh, this car? No, uh, all 70 of them and the... Uh, <laughs> and the uh, motorcycles. Yes, sir. Uh, by the way, do you uh, give uh, green stamps? No, no, sir, we don't. Forget it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's another one. This one is all these world leaders, and JFK decides uh, we're not going to have a big dinner. We're going to do something different. We're going to do some carry out. 
All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, let us be seated. Uh, Mr. Adenauer, if uh, you will sit uh, next to your uh, friend, Mr. De Gaulle. And uh, Mr. Castro, if you will sit here next to your friend, Mr. Khrushchev. Now, I thought that instead of the uh, formal food we usually serve here, that we would have a uh, typical American uh, businessman's lunch. So I'm going to send down to the delicatessen store for uh, some sandwiches. I'll have a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat with a uh, side order of a coleslaw and a hot fudge uh, sundae. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle? Yuck. <laughs> I would like to have dove under glass. Well, I'm uh, sorry, General, but uh, we're only having sandwiches today. Pierre, a uh, chicken salad on white for the general. Uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek. A uh, club sandwich would be fine. Thank you so much. Would you like it with a uh, little mayo? Please, not to mention that name. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Khrushchev. Oh, you don't have to order special for me. I'll have a bite of everybody else's. <laughs> Do you remember all the things that rose up as a result of his very interesting Boston accent was all these comedians started oh, yeah. doing impersonations. Yeah. And I was doing that, too. I was, oh, really? I was talking like a JFK. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't surprise you at all, huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> Even at the age of 12, I was doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's my guy. Because it's everywhere. You're seeing this on TV at night. You're watching the newscast. There's a comedy album out. And, of course, Mike Lossage and I, a friend of mine, we would walk to school and do dueling JFK impressions. I wonder what it sounded like when people sitting on their porches heard these two little kids going, yes, I think this about that, and no, I don't think so, Bob. I can't imagine what it must have looked like to people to watch two 12-year-old kids walking to school doing this. (laughs) But we did. And then, of course, I was in a church choir, and one day when our director had to walk out for some reason. We were in the sanctuary where we were going to be singing on Sunday. So I ran up to the pulpit and flipped on the PA. And I started doing a press conference as JFK to my friends there. Yes, a question from you over there. And had my friends in the choir asking me questions and I was answering them as Uh JFK. And it was fun. And at one point I remember looking at the back of the room and I saw our choir director. She was leaning in the doorway, shaking her head and laughing. And I thought, oh, good. I'm getting good attention. Uh, Yeah. So then I knew it was time to stop. So I got down and uh, we continued on. But I was so proud of that. I got great reaction from that. My friends thought it was funny. And then you made the big mistake. The big mistake was telling my mom. (laughs) Yeah. I got home and I said to mom, you know what happened at choir practice tonight? And I told her and she was livid. She goes, that is a house of God. Don't you ever, ever, ever do that again. Do you hear me? Did she grab you by the lapels? Oh, she grabbed me by the lapels and told me that. And oh my God, did I read the room wrong there, you know? (laughs) Yes, you did, Bob. (laughs) But that's what it was like. Everybody was enjoying this sense of humor. And then along come these two albums called The First Family, 1962 and 1963. What is it you think that makes a good album of presidential humor? What makes it successful? Yeah, I think, first of all, that people buy record albums about politicians who they like. It's very difficult to sell an album about an unpopular politician or one who's just sort of middle of the road in popularity. I think you have to be funny. I think you have to be timely. I think you have to be tasteful. And you have to be about somebody that they care about. They made great use of press conference skits in this album. 
where they would put the president in a situation where you're assuming it's a press conference and weird little questions would be asked. <laughs> it wouldn't turn out they were necessarily reporters. Oh, really? Yeah. Next uh, next question. Uh, yes, the uh, baby in the back row, uh, baby John. <laughs> well, I, uh, I believe I answered that, uh, that question at dinner last night. <laughs> Now, if you, if you remember, here is what I said at that time. Oody wadi body biddy doo, wadi da, goody wadi woo. Yes, uh, next uh, question. Yes, I should like to ask a question regarding the daily bath. Identify yourself, please. I'm the house nurse. All right, uh, nurse. Uh, move ahead uh, with your question. Well, there seems to be some confusion as to the toys to be taken into the bathtub. Yes, well, let me make a judgment about that now. <laughs> The uh, following toys have been appropriated for tub use. 18 PT boats, three, uh, three Yogi Bear uh, beach balls, two Howdy Doody plastic uh, bouncing clowns, a ball of uh, silly putty, and a rubber swan. Now, nine of the PT boats, two of the Yogi Bear uh, beach balls, the uh, ball of silly putty belong to uh, Caroline. Nine of the PT boats, one of the Yogi uh, Bear uh, beach balls, and the uh, two Howdy Doody plastic bouncing clowns are Baby John's. The rubber swan is mine. Millennials, Gen X, anybody who wasn't alive at that time doesn't know what it was like with uh-huh. all of this JFK stuff in the air. It wasn't like presidents we have today. It wasn't all hostile. Yeah. It was a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. And uh, it was there in the air with all these comedy routines and the real man actually saying things that were funny. Uh-huh. And then it all stopped. It all stopped oh, one yeah. sudden day. And it was so, so shocking to all of us. You were in school. I was in school. You were, what, in high school, a freshman? Freshman. I was a little younger than you. I'm your trophy husband. So Indeed I was, you are, baby. <laughs> I was in junior high school, seventh grade, and that was a really, really shocking day, too. Yeah. That was the end of those JFK comedy records, the fastest-selling LPs in history. They destroyed most of the copies they had left in warehouses and in stores. They were all withdrawn from the market. It was the end of Vaughn Meter's career, wasn't it? Vaughn Meter, the comedian who did the voice, was coming to Milwaukee. Oh. He got out of the airplane, he got in a cab, and the taxi driver said, did you hear the president's been shot? And he said, no, I didn't hear that joke. Tell me about it. Oh, really? Oh, geez. Then he heard about it. And it wasn't a joke. Oh, what a way to And go. that was really the end of his career. Oh, yeah. I remember I was in my uh, science class, first period after lunch, and they came on with a announcement on the PA, and they said, as many of you may know, our president was in Dallas, Texas today for a parade, and he was shot and killed in a car, and I was thinking, our president. Does our school have a president? I, I remember. <laughs> you I did. Then I started replaying things uh-huh. in my mind that I heard at lunch hour. Oh. I remember seeing one of our phys ed teachers and another teacher in the hallway talking, and, and he goes, oh, right in the head? And I thought one of our friends had oh. fallen off the trampoline or something. Oh. That's what I thought. It's like, yeah. wow, there was an accident in the gym, you know? So all these things came to, but I remember our uh, the science teacher after that announcement that the, the president had been killed, he just put his head in his hands and then he put his head down on the desk and I, it was terrible. And that just came so out of thin air, didn't it? 
We didn't oh, have a lot of crime and, and threats to leaders before that in yeah. our lives. It was life-changing. I was a freshman, and I, I toddled off to the local cafe at lunchtime for cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And on the radio came the announcement, the president's been shot. And then the owner of the cafe turned on the TV, and we were kids and laborers all sitting there eating burgers. And there wasn't a sound in that place just listening to the news report about what happened. And uh, it was very scary. Anyway, so I go back to class, and this was my first social enlightenment. Well, then I'll never forget This was at Rufus King High School in Milwaukee. Yeah, and our school was totally integrated. We were 50% white, 50% African-American. There was just... Uh, the way it was, we did everything together, and it was uh, no big deal. But I, <laughs> but I walked into that gym class, and every black girl in that class was on the floor crying. And wow. all of us white girls were standing, and I walked in, and I said, what happened? What happened? And uh, they said, the president, he's been shot and killed. And I knew that already, but it didn't occur to me that this was why they were all crying. And I went, why is it affecting them so differently? And that was when a light bulb went off. All the civil rights movement and God, everything is going on. It never on. occurred to me that their life was so different than mine. I just thought we were all the same, had the same kind of life. But they saw that as hope. It was. He was hope. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't know it. I had no idea what they were going through until that moment. So that was the beginning of my social enlightenment. I remember also kind of dragged through that day and dragging home and my mom opened the door and I said, did you know? She goes, yeah, honey, come on in. (laughs) And then we just started watching TV. And I remember the TV was on for the rest of the weekend. Oh, yeah. And it was 24-7. There never had been TV at night in those days. The stations all went off the air. Oh, you mean after midnight? Yes, after midnight, they didn't stay on. Okay. And that was the first time that went 24-7. It was the first 24-7 we were riveted. Event. That's the reason I wanted to get into journalism and media. I yeah. remember walking through my house yeah. with a transistor radio on my ear, looking at a newspaper while glancing up at the TV and seeing, how are they covering this story? In fact, when I got to college and I was taking a final exam in journalism, the story I had to write from scratch was the assassination. Oh, really? They gave you just a list of bullet point facts, and then you had to sit down and write the story. And your exam was you know, how well you wrote that story. I went to college and went into radio TV because I carried that interest because of that experience. And everybody listening had different experiences, and I'm sure people will be interested in sharing that with their families and all. But those are things that we remember from that time. Yes, that was a fun walk down memory lane on the 60th anniversary. Glad, uh, I'm glad we brought the humor back on this one to remember him in another way. And, of course, that Boston accent of his, that's, that was the key to all of these to, things. To, yeah. And he even poked fun at that. Yeah. Boston University gave him an award one time, and he was there to receive it. It is a, a great pleasure to come back to a city where my accent is considered normal. We can't forget how popular Jackie Kennedy was, too. I mean, uh, her popularity eclipsed him on many of their trips. And he had fun with that, too. Yeah. I am the man who accompanied Jacqueline Kennedy to Paris, and I've enjoyed it. Well, I think that gives people who weren't there, who weren't alive at that time, an understanding of why there was such an affinity for this person, even though he'd only been president for three years, why it was so different and why it was really a part of our lives we all felt had been taken away from us when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. 
And in the next segment of the off-ramp, we're going to listen to a phone call, one of the most historic phone calls you never heard, because it was done by a small Southern Illinois radio station. The man who called the Dallas Police Department and got the name of the suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald, and spread that to the world. I work for that man, and we talk with him and listen to his amazing recording from 1963 in the next episode of The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.